panel, I want to challenge your, your thinking about faith through these two sessions. I know you know that faith is what you use to possess the things that you need to possess in life. And that's important. You know, I know that faith, you know that faith is what you use to be able to, to, to declare a thing and pray and, and turn situations around. And that is fine. That's what part of what faith does. But over and above that, you must understand that there is an end of all that. The Bible says in Mark 8, 36, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? If you use your faith to possess everything on this earth, to possess every possession, to possess every position, what does that earn you in the afterlife if you fail at the end? If your soul is found wanting at the end. So your faith must propel you consistently to run to the end. And he said for you to run like this, you need to show the same diligence. And then in verse 12, he said that so that you do not become sluggish. Don't lose out on this rate. The word sluggishness doesn't just mean slow. It means tired. It means weary. It means giving up. Many believers give up today because they have no hope. Many people give up today because they have no hope. We hear every week very sad tales of suicidal tendencies and actual suicides of people which simply means, as, as far as we can see, came to a point where they saw hopelessness. They just saw a gulf. They saw nothing again, nothing to propel them further. He said it is faith that we should not become. It is faith that keeps us from doing that so that we don't become sluggish. How? But imitating, copying, the word imitate means copy. It means do like. It means follow after. It means, you know, uh, take example from. He said, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience are a union that you cannot separate. If you want to be a person of faith, you must be a person of patience. If you want to excel in patience, you must be a person of faith. You can't separate the two. If the moment you try to separate the two, one, they fail on their own. You can't have faith. Proper faith without being patient. It's impossible because God is patient. If your faith is in that God who is patient and you are not patient, you will run before him. You will do things that he has not commanded. And that's not faith. If you want to be a patient person and you are waiting and you have no faith, you will be tired in patience. <laughs> you will be tired because your patience will lose focus, will lose hope. It will turn to anger because there's no faith involved. So he said that you must always understand it is faith and patience that these early elders who obtained a good report, we know that from Hebrews 11 too, that they obtained a good report. They mix faith and patience together. And he said we should, in, we should imitate them because they inherited the promises. You and I must understand. Every time Paul spoke to people, he said in, to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Imitate me. It is not pride. The first time I saw this scripture was about 25 years ago, 20, 20, 23, 25 years ago. And I said, ah, is this not arrogance? How can somebody say, copy me? Then I, I looked into it very well and I found that this is exactly what God wants us to do. Contact him, be an example, and then tell people to follow your example. When I was young, the elders of our church used to tease. They used to joke. It was a joke, but I, we, some of us took it seriously. Some of them would say, you know, for some of us, uh, uh, we would say to us, do, we would say to you, do, do as, I, as I say, don't do as I do. Because, you know, some of them were having challenges with their, with their spiritual lives. But I could see, you could see that they loved the Lord. 
But they were weak. I was in a church, an evangelical church, who at that time was not, they didn't believe in the Holy Ghost baptism. So many of them had challenges in terms of that. But you saw them in church every week. So for me, they loved God, but that, that understanding of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit they lacked, it really affected them. So thank God. God helped some of us come through that process being born again through that process, but then we also got filled with the Holy Ghost when God opened our eyes to see that this is what makes your faith life potent. So they used to say, imitate me. They used to say, don't imitate what I do, but say what I, do what I'm saying. <laughs> but that is not the life that God wants us to live. He wants us to, do, to say to people, do as I do. If you cannot confidently say to your sons and your daughters, do exactly everything you see me do, you need to check your life. If you have to say to your children, you see, don't copy some things. Don't copy some things on me. Then you need to know that those things must be out of your life. It's not, there's no need you, a prophet tells you that. Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. It is not a statement of pride. It is a statement of responsibility. It is a statement of faith in one who, who, who he follows as shaping his life. And he also told the Philippians in Philippians 3.17, he said, brethren, join in following my example. And then he went on further this time and said, not those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So we must understand when we become Christians, the Bible says we are the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. We must understand that our life is no more about ourselves. The day you say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, that is the day you cease to exist as an individual that is just by yourself. That is the day you become a beacon of hope to many, whether you like it or not. That is the day you become the standard that people look at. That is the day you become the person that they use as a reference point. That's why the devil wants to mess up that reference as much as possible in the body of Christ and in the world today. The church is the gold standard. Why do you think the church is attacked so much? Why do you think there's so much frustration when, when, when people see church, church leaders especially, do things that, 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 that trouble them? Or when they see church people behave in ways that is unbecoming? Why do you think so? Last week, there was a very funny, you know, from time to time all over the world. It doesn't happen only in, 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 in Nigeria. It happens in many countries. We've seen parliaments uh, in some countries that, you know, they just go crazy and they start to get physical. I must say, though, it happens a little bit, I would say, more frequently in Nigeria from what I can see. But it happens everywhere, we must be honest. And uh, one of our state houses of assemblies in my home country, Nigeria, uh, there was a real big show, and somebody was commenting on it, and uh, one of them was punching with the left hand. And I watched the clip, and I said, it's true. How could people watch this kind of detail? <laughs> and the guy was punching his fellow lawmaker with the left hand until they, they begged him to leave him alone. I don't know what they were fighting about, but, you know, that is life. But you know something? If that had happened in a church, God forbid, if that had happened in a church, the, 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 the way it will go viral on social media will be faster 10 times because there is, whether we like it or not, the world expects, even they themselves are not accepting it, but this is the truth. Because it is written that we are the light of the world, there is no way, you can't argue with light. You can't. You will be a fool to argue with light. Light is light. Wherever it's present, you know it's there. It is impossible to deny the existence of light. So the world would always say, oh, look at church people doing this. Look at church leaders doing this. Because there is an inner cry in every heart to want to defer to the church, whether they want to accept it or not. 
This is why the church is under so much attack. And the church thinks it is just an ordinary thing. It's not ordinary. It's because the world is expecting that we move the gold standard. That we stay the standard. They may not immediately say they accept all our ways, but they see that church, that entity, as true reference point that you can at least say these are people who truly have a connection with God. I find the words to explain this very difficult, but it is set by God in man that people must look unto him through those he has called. So Paul said, for us to be effective in this faith work as Christians, we must understand that we should note those who so walk, note those who we can continue to look at. We should never forget Jesus remains the author and the finisher of our faith. He remains our perfect example. That is why the Bible will always say, look at the spirit of just men made perfect. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks to come, in the next, next week and the week to come. We're going to be looking at that. He said, look at, he said, he said follow those, uh, and not those who so walk. Not those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So this is just for us to be uh, introduced to the topic of today, to get us to understand. As people of faith, we have been automatically drafted into the ministry of reconciliation. Those of you that were in the power tower, our pre-service prayer this morning, you heard Pastor Moses share from 2 Corinthians 5.17. He said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. So true. You can't be born again and be unborn again. I mean, you can't live like an, somebody who is not yet born again. It's impossible. You must be walking in the newness of the life you have. And as a as a part product of that newness of life, the Bible says, just the next verse, verse 18, he said, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us, not the pastors, not the bishops, not the elders, not the apostles, not the evangelists, not the, the elder brothers, not the parents. He has given everyone who has been reconciled to him as a person who is now in Christ. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the kind of ministry that you don't get by, by having a good CV. You don't get this ministry because they put you before people and then they elected you and say, okay, you are now part of the ministry of reconciliation. You get it simply by being born again. You get born again, you are drafted. You get born again, you are drafted. That's how it works. Look at verse 18 again. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us, not that he will give us, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So for us to be working in this ministry, for us to fulfill this ministry, we can learn, because the Bible says we should follow those who through faith and patience, we can learn from the heritage of faith that we have in Christ through particularly the life of Moses. There are so many that we can read. Our Bible reading helped us to see from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. We read right through to verse 40 today. Earlier on, that was read to us by Pastor Lola. And uh, I just want to concentrate on a few verses there today because of time. If, I, if we are to do a series on Hebrews 11, we can do it for six months. Take that from me. By the grace and mercies of God, by the things that God has already revealed about that chapter. I'm not talking about the whole book now. 
the, the Hebrews 11 alone, if we were to go systematically, what we did in one session last week would take us nothing less than two months if we want to go into it very well. And the, the, these remaining verses can take us <laughs> nothing less than four months. But we're just going to try as God helps us. You know how we do in this church. We would always come back in a series. In another way, God would open our eyes to see how we can structure it so that we can go further. But for today, we're concentrating on looking at the life of Moses. Moses was a type of Jesus Christ. He was a type of a savior because God ordained him, God selected him and sent him to go and rescue people. Just the same way Christ was sent to come and rescue mankind. And so we must understand, right from his early birth, even the examples that surrounded their birth were very similar. That is the birth of Moses and the birth of Jesus, the Son of Man. The Bible makes us to understand in Hebrews 11, verse 23. It said, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden. This is not the faith of Moses now, but the faith of his parents. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. So Moses was somebody who was born by faith and protected by faith before he even came into fruition. The same way we will see that Jesus was also born by faith because you know the story of Jesus very well. We study it almost every Christmas. We look into the details how a virgin could, could have been, been killed, could have been stoned to death and, and, and could have been thrown out, could have become an outcast decided to say, no, I will, I will let it be unto me according to the word of the Lord. And then God spoke to Joseph, her husband-to-be, and they cooperated by faith. And we never heard after that that anybody complained. Have you ever noticed that? Nobody ever said anything again. Nobody ever, after Jesus was born, nobody said, but this, the way this child was born, the age he was born, he was not yet... No, 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 no argument. Because when faith delivers, there is no argument. Anyway, we talk about Moses first. He said, because they saw he was a beautiful child. That is all God gave to them. They just saw the beauty of this child. They did not know anything. They did not know he would save his people 40 years later. They did not know anything. They just knew this was a beautiful child. How many of you know that as parents, you look at your children, every one of them, and you see something of beauty. I'm not talking of only beauty, physical beauty. Every child, if you open your spiritual eye, you will see something of the beauty of their life. Some God-given trait. Something that will go beyond them and bless others. It's, you, you, I can't explain it more. You see, some of them, from the very first day, you hold them in your hand like this. I held all my children in my arms like this, the very first few minutes of their life. All of them, by the grace of God. And you can look at that little thing, that little baby in your hand, and yet you see so much. Within a very short time. And as they grow, you see more. As they grow, you see more. The Bible says these people, it is God that put something like that there. Because it is for a duty of the faith of the parent to be activated immediately for that child to fulfill purpose. The Bible says by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden. Why didn't they just let him be like other children that were being killed? Why didn't they just say, oh, this is another boy. Oh, he's just going to die. And they cried. No, no, no. God made them see something of a beauty in him. And they were not afraid. They began to say, no, even though there is a king's command, we will hide this one. There is a beauty about him that is going to speak beyond him. I pray God keeps opening our eyes to see the beauty about our children that will go beyond them. 
that will go beyond their world, that will go beyond their realms, that will go beyond their tribe, that will go beyond their race. In the name of Jesus. And so these circumstances became the life of Moses. His parents hid him by faith. And we see something like this happen when Jesus himself was born. Herod was asking the same scenario. Herod said, I want to kill every child two years and under. The other man said, kill every male child born by the Hebrews. This one said, kill every child two years and under. So there is no way you can miss anyone. And Jesus would have been among those to have been killed, in quote. But Matthew 2, 13, the Bible says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord. And how God does it, he doesn't have to send an angel all the time. The other parents just saw that this was a beautiful child. If we wanted to send an angel to them, he could have. In this case, he said to them, he sent an angel. Why? Because Mary has started to understand hearing from angels. And Joseph himself, because he got in a dream when the Lord appeared to him through an angel and spoke to him. So they started to understand the workings of angels. So that continued up to the point where preservation of life was to take place for Jesus Christ himself. He said, so the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother. Don't forget, at this point, Jesus, Jesus is fully God, but as fully man, he was still a baby that needed diapers, needed changing, needed every help that you would give to a little baby. He could not do anything by himself. So he had to appear to the parents, again, the faith of the parents. He said, arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Can you see that? The same Egypt that Moses was hid, where he would have been killed. When Jesus, the real savior, will come, he said, flee to Egypt again. God has a way of tying up his own stories by himself. The Bible says, he said, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Verse 14 says, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt in obedience. Verse 15 says, and there and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. The same way out of Egypt, he called his children. Till today, we use the phrase deliverance from Egypt, not because we have something against the nation of Egypt, the real nation of Egypt today. There are many believers. In fact, some of the strongest believers in the world today that are still being martyred for Christ live in Egypt. So Egypt is today, is not the, the, the Egypt we used to talk about. Because I saw something recently, people were saying that, ah, is that, that can believers still be talking about Egypt as, as, as a nation of, 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 of slave masters and so on? That is a type in the Bible of that dispensation. Today, Egypt is a nation whereby, in fact, Egypt was one of the nations that first stood with Israel when the late uh, uh, um, um, Anwar Sadat was president in the 80s. He openly declared something that other nations were afraid, afraid to do. He said, I will stand with that nation. So we know that it's a very different story today, geographically speaking, but metaphorically and from biblical history, we understand that Egypt was a land, just like Babylon, was a land of bondage for the children of Israel. And every deliverance, even today in our spiritual term, we can still say deliverance from Babylon, deliverance from Egypt. If it is a deliverance from sin, we say it is deliverance from Egypt. As, a, as an emancipated people going to the promised land. If it is a deliverance from things that are trying to hold us down in terms of uh, oppression and have, having us to compromise our faith, we say it's like a deliverance from Babylon, like it was in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we understand the context. 
But he said, take him out. And he was there just as he commanded until the day he was born. And so I just want to encourage us today that we must be a people who understand this context very well. This means that everyone whom God has called into the ministry of reconciliation will continue to enjoy divine protection until they fulfill destiny. You see, we must understand something. We say we are not afraid of death, not because we are arrogant. We say we are not afraid of death, not because we, we care less about what happens to our loved ones when we go. No. We say we are not afraid of death because death has been defeated in our lives already. Because for a believer, death is life. Death is a transition to the final, ultimate, eternal life that they have already enjoyed. The only pain we have is when we have loved ones who we are not sure died in the faith. Because we never know who dies in the faith. That is the reality. I take that from the story of the robber at the right hand of Jesus. Anybody can say, Lord Jesus, save me. Under their breath, the last minute. We never know. So I never say somebody died in sin. I don't say that. You can't say that. Because you don't know who died in sin. You don't know. Maybe under the very last moment of their breath, when everybody thought they had died, they went, Lord, have mercy on me. I receive your son as Lord and Savior. And that's it. Heaven straight. <laughs> so you never say somebody died in sin no don't say that God is the ultimate judge hallelujah somebody said we will see many surprises in heaven some expected not there I pray you and I will be there but some not expected there that will be plenty <laughs> plenty hallelujah <laughs> oh Lord have mercy so every one of us must understand God continues to protect us divinely as we fulfill purpose. We don't live carelessly. You don't walk to where they say they are shooting people or something. You just go and open chest there and say, I'm, I'm divinely protected. That's not what we're talking about. That's foolishness. We're talking about you living your life not afraid that you, of death that can just catch anybody anyhow, anytime. That cannot be your portion because you are here on a mandate. Jesus could not be killed because he came on a mandate. Moses could not be killed when everybody, their ages were killed because they came on a mandate. The same way you are on a mandate. So settle these matters in your life. Divine protection is your right, not because your name is Simon or David or some biblical name or because you say uh, anything else, but because you are a child of God who understands that you are on a mission in the ministry of reconciliation. Every ambassador, as London has been boiling in the last few days, every ambassador, go and check them. They are, they are in their houses and they are fortified. State protection for them. They are right there, safe, because they are ambassadors to this land and they are protected by the heavyweight of their government. In fact, if planes were walking, if planes were walking and it were, flights were okay, if they suspected that it was something of rifts of nations, the first things that people do is they go and whisk their ambassadors back home. They go and carry them and their family because they are the target, first target. So they go and whisk them back home. If human beings can be that clever about the people who represent them on this earthly realm, how much more the one who drafted you and I into the Ministry of Reconciliation? Let's think. Your life is not ordinary. Stop being afraid of what everybody else is afraid of. Just keep being a dutiful servant in this Ministry of Reconciliation. Don't go where ambassadors don't go. 
don't party with people ambassadors don't party with. There are ambassadors in this land that no matter what you do, if you want to invite them to a function, no matter how good it looks, they risk assess. If it is not a place an ambassador should go, they will send you one of their, what do they call them, attaches or these people in their, in, their, in, their, in their embassies. They will come and represent them just to show that they identify with you, but their caliber of person must not be there. It must not be there. So we don't do what ambassadors don't do because we are children of God, but we are in a ministry whereby we must understand we are divinely protected. This is very important. People, believers, my generation, pray this prayer a lot. I shall not die but live. I shall not die but live. You know what? You need to, re you need to read it to the end always. That is the condition to declare the works of the Lord. We are alive to declare the works of the Lord. We survive COVID-19 COVID to declare the works of the Lord. We will keep surviving to the glory of God, COVID and all the other things to declare the works of the Lord. You need to read all the Bible verses very well. I am a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people to show forth what? To show forth the praises, to show forth, to show forth. That is our duty. So Moses was preserved as a savior for his time because there was an important assignment for him. Not just as somebody who will emancipate God's people, but he was also going to be the custodian of the law. That is why I said so many things are very similar with the life of Jesus. Moses emancipated the people by God's help, became a custodian of the law, and delivered it to the people by God's intervention. But at the same time, Jesus also saved mankind and replaced the law for us. The law of sin and death, which was given through Moses, now became substituted. Again, we heard that very early this morning, if you can remember, in the power tower when Pastor Moses was sharing. Substituted by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So Moses is a type, Jesus is a type. But Jesus is the ultimate of the type. Moses is a type of Jesus of our time. There are many types of Jesus in the Old Testament, like Joshua and so on. But the reality is that what, when we compare the life of Moses, we can learn a lot. Especially as people also called into this ministry of reconciliation. And so we know when Jesus also prayed, he said that I pray that you should not take them, John 17, 15, that you should not take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. We are preserved from the evil one because he himself needs our life. He needs us. This is why I always say we must understand why we say and pray for preservation, why we pray to be prospered, why we pray to have the opportunity to be empowered because as witnesses in the ministry of reconciliation, we need our life to do it. We need the resources. We need everything that will help us do it effectively. So we don't live just for things. We don't have faith just to have things. We have faith to have things that will help us serve God the more. So very quickly, some heritage of faith in Christ that we have through Moses. Let's start again from Hebrews 11. We'll read from verse 24. Hebrews verse 11, verse 24. Can I have that, please? The Bible says, by faith, when Moses, the first heritage I want us to look at, verse 24, please. 
The first heritage I want us to look at is that of identity. Hebrews eleven twenty four. thank you. He said, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was rescued by his parents, you know his story very well, put in a basket, floated on by the river Nile, picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, and nurtured all the way. But by faith, when he became of age, when he became a person of responsibility, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This is why we must understand that our first heritage to learn from Moses is the heritage of identity. Many believers must understand that our identity is key. Not knowing that we are citizens of heaven is robbing us of taking the roles that we ought to play in the ministry of reconciliation. Not knowing that our salvation is not just about us getting to heaven, but much more about partnership with God to co-labor with him to get others saved. Moses realized that I can continue to enjoy and be called Pharaoh's daughter, son of Pharaoh's daughter, son of Pharaoh's daughter, but that would mean I've lost my identity. He was by faith engaged. We understand that the maid that was taken was actually his own mom, but they didn't know that. So a lot must have been told him as he was growing up, and they kept a piece of the, the, the cloth that was used for Hebrew children so that he can be shown as a later sign of what was used to wrap him as a baby, and so on. And they knew he himself, when he was growing up, knew that he has become of age, and now he can no longer just be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We are no longer who we are. We have a new identity. The reason why we behave like the old identity is lack of understanding. You must understand who you are. John chapter 17, verse 6. John chapter 17, from uh, verse 6, the Bible says, verse 16, he said, they are not of the world. John 17, 16, please. They are not of the world, just I am not of the world. Jesus said, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus was praying for us. He said, I pray, Father, I pray for these ones. You know, John 15, 16, 17, Jesus was praying, particularly John 17. He was talking about us being sanctified. The next verse, he said, you'll be sanctified. He said, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. Because you and I are no longer of this world. We are citizens of heaven. And when we don't understand this, we lose our identity and we become people who are not representing the one that we now belong to. It is very important for us to understand that we as a people must continue to recognize our identity. Know who you are. If you travel to a country, I always use this example, if you travel to a country very, very, I've been to some countries, very nice, you, you want to be there, you just want to enjoy there, two days, three days, four days, everywhere you go, the people are nice, they make you laugh, they ask you where you are coming from, and they will tell you stories about their country, I've been to places like that, and it's really fun, and you, you really enjoy it, you go back to the hotel room, and you are thinking about the people you met, the places you went, the things you did, and you say, these are lovely people, and all that, but you know, in all that, you never lose sense of the fact that you are still a visitor there. You never lose sight of it. You are still a visitor there. Because it is the same way we are in this world. No matter what we are doing and how we are effective at it, we must realize that we have an identity that we must not let go. We must not stop to become the sons, 
to, we must not refuse our true identity in Christ and, and become the son of Pharaoh's daughter only. You must not just be that person that is privileged to be a professional, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother. Don't just take on those identities because those are just things that have enhanced your fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation. Don't get lost in those identities. Don't get lost in your title. My pastor friend, you are a pastor, thank God for you. Don't get lost in that title. That title is just to help you perform part of the things that enable the ministry of reconciliation in your own life. It is not your end. You Nobody is going to heaven because they call them bishop in this life. No. <laughs> or they call them pastor or apostle. None of those things. You are going there and you are going to meet your Savior, Lord and Savior, because you dutifully fulfilled purpose here on earth by refusing to be called those things that would have held you down. We must walk by identity. I've quoted 1 Peter 2, 9 for you. He said, we're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We are called to show forth his praises. Number two, Moses demonstrated for us. We can see this in verse 25. Hebrews eleven twenty-five, 25, right through to verse 27. He demonstrated to us the heritage of endurance and zeal. Hebrews 11, verse 25. Hebrews 11, verse 25. He demonstrated to us the, thank you, the heri, gave to us the heritage of endurance and zeal. Verse 25 says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he said, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches. The reproach, how can you say reproach is greater riches? Faith. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than treasures in Egypt, for he looked for the reward. Now, Moses did not know Christ. So what's the Bible talking about here? It's talking about a, a likeness of the reproach of Christ. Because Moses did not know Christ physically as son of man. He was born way, 4,000, 5,000 years before Christ was born <laughs> physically on earth. But he understood by faith that there is a reproach of one who is coming that I must fulfill today in my own duty. I must fulfill and understand today. It is called the reproach of Christ. I consider that greater than all the riches of the treasures in Egypt because he looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. And so by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. 1 Timothy 1.17, the Bible says, Now unto the king eternal, unto the king immortal, unto the king invisible, the only wise God, the all glory and honor. Moses, who did not know this king physically, by faith, could see that there is an invisible king that I am representing today. There is an invisible kingdom that is not this Egyptian kingdom that I am representing today. And there is a reward that comes to me because the previous verse says that he looked to the reward. <laughs> Next week we'll be looking at Hebrews 12, but he said in Hebrews 12:1, he says, seeing then that we have so great a cloud of weaknesses, let us lay aside every sin and every weight that easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He said, looking unto Jesus, 
Verse 2, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, just like Moses, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, that is the reproach, the same reproach, the same reproach that Moses was facing in his time. When he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then he by himself decided that he would suffer affliction with the people of God. He endured it just like Jesus later came and also endured it and despised the shame. And he took that reproach of Christ the same way he took it greater riches. How many believers are willing today your skin, our skin, believer today, our skin is so thin. We get upset. Even to stay committed in one church, many Christians struggle. So-called Christians. What did they do to you? Oh, somebody slapped me. Oh, somebody did not smile at me. Hey, somebody did this. Somebody did that. And they're gone. Some gone from not only church and Christianity or, 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 or a local assembly, but from Christianity altogether. When there is a demand placed on you to continue to endure reproach, whether it's inside or outside, do you know that Moses, if you are to look at the story of Moses very well, when God came to meet him in Exodus chapter 3, 40 years later, and God said, I'm sending you back to Pharaoh, do you know that Moses could have said to God, I remember not to those people, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm not going back to those people. There was a time they accused him. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Remember? The same people. And they, these people might have just been in their 50s by that time or 60s at the most because it was just a 40-year gap. So let's assume they were like teenagers or early 20s at that time at the most. Young people fighting. And he went to say, ah, why are you brethren fighting? You have to say, they say, hey, leave us alone. Do you want to, to kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday or the other time? And then, by the way, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? That is painful to anybody who God has sent to a people. Very painful. If you've never been there before, you don't know. When people you have tried to help, and you have helped, and you have done your best to help, turn around to accuse you, it's very painful. When they turn around, not only to accuse you, to actually be vicious to you, and tell you off as if what you did for them, and what you are trying to do for them is about you. It is about them, but they are looking at you to your face and telling you off. I don't say this as a joke or something I'm taking lightly, but the truth is I must let you know as an example. In the last 20 years I've been in this country, God has helped me, almost 20 years now. God has helped me. He's given me some little bit, I'm, I'm not, not some big, big positions per se, but I've had some opportunities of helping people, and I still have by God's grace and God's privilege, opportunities of Helping people with good references, good things that can help them into jobs, help them into settling in the country, or uh, especially those who are coming from outside the country. And those who are even nationals of the country, born here originally from the uh, various backgrounds that our multicultural society is, have had opportunity of helping many of them, mentoring them in, in college, and so many things in the profession, so many things. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful I've had opportunities, and I am still having opportunities, and I'm grateful. I see myself in my own little way as a Moses, not from a head, head, head swollen point of view, 
that I just see it's an opportunity. God gives you an opportunity. There was a time God gives me an opportunity. I just give people admission letters and some of the letters that I gave to people help them to come and study in this country. And today, some of them are citizens of this country. I can't forget such things. It's a privilege God gave to me and I used it and I thank God I used it. I've helped many people come into doctoral study by the grace of God. I've helped many people do many things and by the grace of God, I'm still doing as much as God helps me to do. But do you know something? Out of all that, I can tell you categorically in under the 20, 15 to 20 years, I have seen at times when the same, some of the same people come back and turn viciously to try and fight me or to try and be rude to me or, or just do things to me. And I'm like, so you see, so if I'm to look at that, I will stop being who God wants me to be. But I realize, just like Moses, and this is my point of illustration here, that if you are doing good, the Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing because you will reap. There is a reward. <laughs> don't give up. Don't say every time I, I loan this brethren money. I'm not saying you should be loaning people money, please. But understand where I'm coming from. If, 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 every time I loan them money, these brethren, they don't return money. So you stop helping people. That is going to be, all you need to do is learn from the last experience and be wise when you are helping somebody so that it can't impact you too much. That's all you need to do. Don't stop doing good because somebody did not appreciate your good. Moses could have said, I don't have any business going back to those people, Lord. They didn't like me. I was trying to help them. Even the person I killed, was I killing him because he attacked me? I killed him because he attacked my, 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 my brother, one of them. And yet they are using it against me. And then they are even telling me to my face that who made me a ruler and a king. We never heard that from Moses. Anybody who understands. And if you're a believer, you must learn this from Moses. You must know how to endure and be zealous for God. You don't serve God in doing what you should do to people by looking at people. It doesn't work that way. If you look at people, you will faint. If you look at people, you will give up. If you are to react the way people will react and try to discourage you, you will never do any good thing. Take it from me. You keep looking unto God. You will do it for some people, they will spit at you. Don't worry. Keep doing it for God. Keep doing it for God. Because there is a reward for those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And you must understand that this is part of the reproach for Christ. I make no light about how hurtful it can be. We are natural. It can be very painful, especially people who you really went all out. People who you really staked a lot for. People who you at times put your own reputation on the line, basically. People who you have to work so hard to make it work. Not that you are doing anything fraudulent, but you had to think. You had to really think and research and, and find the most probable, logical, legitimate way to help them. And you went through all that pain. And then they come around and turn to you and tell you off. It can be very tempting. I'm telling you people now, I'm telling my brethren now because you will find yourself in such situations sooner or later if you've never been there before. You must understand you have to keep your focus like Moses did. You need that heritage of faith to endure not just for you to get to the end of the race but to keep helping, to keep doing the things that you ought to do. And God will keep granting you grace in Jesus' name. Number three, very quickly. We learned from Hebrews 11, 28, verse 28 now, that he gave us a heritage of the blood of the covenant. Moses, by faith, kept the Passover. Uh, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. Least he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. This is very important for us to realize also. Moses started something. 
The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 8, that there are three that bear record here on earth. Look at them. The spirit that bears record with our salvation and our salvation walk. The Bible says we should walk in the spirit. The water that bears record for our sanctification because he sanctifies us by the washing of the water, by the word. But you see, the blood, the blood is the rectifier. The blood is the signature. The Bible says he went and presented us a new covenant by entering with his own blood. So Moses understood something that we are now enjoying today. By the reason of the angel of death that was visiting Egypt to kill the firstborns, he understood when it was told to him that he should, he should uh, 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 slaughter a lamb and take its blood and use it on the doorposts, the lintels, as it were, of all the children of Israel. He said, and when the angel sees it, it shall pass over. The blood of Jesus is the blood of the new covenant that speaks better things than the blood of Abel's, Abel. And it is our blood that it is the blood that is shed for us for the remission of our sins. It is the blood that is given to us for total deliverance. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. That is what keeps us protected from even the evil in the land today. When the, when the angel of death sees the blood, he passes over. So never stop pleading the blood. Never stop pleading the blood of Jesus because the three are bearing record here on earth constantly and they are one. The Bible says they agree as one. What the spirit wants, the water is doing and the blood is rectifying. What the spirit desires, the water is affecting and the, word, the, the blood is rectifying. They agree as one. They agree as one. They work together as one. You are walking in the spirit. You believe in the word of God by the spirit of the water, but you have been sanctified by the water in the word. You are consistently in it. Then you must also believe in the blood, the blood of Christ. This is a heritage Moses showed us at the Passover. When he went by faith, you apply the blood by faith. When you say, I plead the blood of Jesus, you do it by faith. Not that we are killing him a second time, but we are effecting what he has already done with that blood. When lawyers go to court and they want to fight or defend their counsel, they want to defend their, 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 their persons, their clients, uh, and uh, they, they, they go before the judge and they say it is written in the Constitution A, B, C, D, or according to the law D, E, F, whatever those things are. They, they confidently remind the judge that it is already something signed by law, into law and by state, that this person should not suffer this punishment. That is what the blood does for us. That's what the blood does for us. That's why the Bible says, and they overcame him, Revelations 4, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Every time you share a testimony, what you are saying is the blood has worked again. You share a testimony, the blood has worked again. That is why we keep encouraging you, share testimonies. Share testimonies because every time you share a testimony of the doing of God, what is happening is that you are saying the blood has delivered again. The blood has caused the angel of death to pass again, whatever that testimony might be. Then the fourth thing is that we have a heritage of faith, of bold advancement. We see this in verse 29, Hebrews eleven twenty-nine. He said, by faith, thank you, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. You cannot do what spiritual people do in the flesh. It leads to what is called drowning. 
<laughs> That's why we don't copy things. You don't just copy. It's not even only what spiritual people do uh, as such, but what you are not commanded to do, basically. You don't just copy things for the sake of it. Ah, this ministry is doing this. Let's go and do it. They may be doing it and walking through on dry land, but it may shock another person that they do the same and they sink. Not because God is wicked, but because God has another path for them. They don't have to pass through that place. God has another area. He has another section. He has another way. It's not arrogance, but God is my witness. We don't copy any ministry blindly. I have ministries I follow and respect for years. Men that I know that nobody is perfect. I know they are not perfect, but I have high regard for their consistency for years of service, and I pray for them that God will help them to the end of their race. I look at good things in their ministry, but I don't just copy blindly. Every day, in my own little way, I say to God, what do you have for us? Since we have been running series, I've never seen it in any church, and I stand to be corrected. Every Sunday from September 1, 2013, run series, run series, run series, run series, run series, run series. I've never seen it. I know people do it from time to time. But here we are. God put it in us, and it's easy to do. We don't struggle. If somebody just wants to go and copy that and do it, if God has not commanded them, they may struggle. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not something you can do in the flesh. God will have to give you a download and say, this is how you structure it. This is how you make it work. This is how it will fit together. And the story I want to establish at this point will be established. We must have the heritage of bold advancement. Having been certified that God is the one that is ordering our steps, we must know how to keep advancing boldly. Fear has robbed many people of taking steps of faith. He said in Exodus 14, Jesus, uh, God, uh, Moses said to God, Lord, the Egyptians are coming. Look at the sea. He said, why are you standing there complaining? God said to them. He said, you should stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He said, now stretch forth your hand to the sea. And as he stretched forth his rod to the sea, that rod that he stretched forth was the word of God. We know that in Isaiah 11 verse 1, it calls it the stem of Jesse. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. It's not a magical wand or a, an ordinary staff. It's none of those things. It's just the word of God. He stretched it forth. And as he stretched it forth, there was, the Bible says, and the sea parted hither and thither. There is no scientific explanation for something like that, ever. Never. My only two understanding of engineering, we build cover dams, what we call cover dams, where we want to build bridges or do things in the sea. We build these structures in the sea that allows us to isolate the section we want to walk so that water can go around it. But it's nothing like that. To just, to just have a parting of the sea without any structure holding it up and one stands like this and one stands like this, there is no scientific explanation possible. And the Bible says, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea and they did not pass on murky waters. They did not pass on, 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 on quicksand on the seabed. They passed as by dry land. And to show that it was supernatural and divine and not an, an accident of history, when the Egyptians tried it, they were drowned. We must understand that by faith we must be moving. If you are going to accomplish anything, I've told you this many times, if you are going to accomplish anything for God, you must be a person of faith. Even to raise children, do you know that you need faith? 
You need faith, like I said, to see what God has said about them and keep contesting for it. Keep contending for it on your knees. Keep declaring, regardless of what you are seeing. At times you are seeing something that is very different. You stay by faith. You don't start agreeing with that. Hey, this child, you will kill me. You, you will take my life. <laughs> no. You, you, you declare what God has said. You declare what God has shown. Ha. By faith, you can only attain. And by faith, we will attain. By the grace of God, this is what God wants us to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says we must keep walking by faith and not by sight. We must keep walking by faith and not by sight. Acts 17, 28 says, for it is in him we live. It is in him we move and have our being. I emphasize move because our third core value as a church is that we will always move by faith as God commands. I was challenging the drama group of our workership yesterday that you know what, you just move. When they gave us the agenda of what they were planning to do and how they were planning to perfect things and that is very good. I said to them, it's very good. But you know something, you just move. You never harass the enemy with strategy by just sitting down. David did not sit down in front of Goliath and say, yeah, I will do this, I will do that and then he stood there. No, Goliath would have eaten him that day for dinner. He said, I will feed your, birds, your, your body to the birds of the air and I will take off your head and I'll do all that things. And then he ran towards Goliath. Go and read 1 Samuel 17. Then he ran, he moved. For it is in him we live. It is in him we move. Move, you need to move. You need to move. You need to buy that next form and take on that next qualification. You need to move. You need to start that business. You need to move. Amen. You have strategized for too long. You need to move. You need to start that ministry. You need to move. You need to move. In him we live. In him we move. In him we move. We don't just live and have our being in him. We move in him. May God continue to help us to gain understanding. In the name of Jesus. Let us pray.